Welcome, Pastor Smith. I know you had a little challenge getting here with all the flooding in Houston, so we're thankful that you got here and God brought you safely. We're very blessed with the partnership that we have with you and with your church, with the members of your church. So thank you for continuing to um, open up your doors to us. So we'll continue to open them up to you. I wanted to give you all uh, a brief update on the Hidden Valley outreach that we had yesterday. Um, We didn't have as many people from Hidden Valley show up as we normally do. Um, But actually, it actually worked out, I think, to our advantage. I would probably say it was the best uh, of the three that we've done. It was probably the best one in terms of us getting to sit down, talk with the people, and share with the people. And I think part of that happened because there were less people that came. Um, People just didn't grab food, and we were kind of able to grab them as they were getting their food and encourage them to sit down, and then we could sit down and talk with them. So I know that um, Pastor Smith and one of the pastors from the other church actually got to lead someone to the Lord. Amen. So that was very cool. Uh, So we had someone get saved. Um, Pastor Laurent and I got to talk with a couple of ladies for about an hour um, and really pour into them and encourage them. And it was, it was, just, it was, it was a good time. So not as many, but I actually think that the ministry um, was maybe the best that, that we um, have been privileged to be a part of at Hidden Valley yet. So thank you all for your prayers and for uh, joining us in that. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. We thank you for the privilege of hearing it. We thank you for the privilege of being able to be a part of the work that you're doing We pray for the gentleman that got saved yesterday, that you would continue to grow him. He is a baby in the faith. So I pray that you'd minister to him. I pray you'd protect him from the enemy. I pray that good fruit would be born in his life. And when I pray for the two ladies that Pastor Laurent and I got to share with yesterday, that the the different things that they're going through and start growing with God, that you would show yourself in each of those situations. You would show them that you are the answer, that you can walk with them through any difficulty or affliction that they're facing. I pray, God, that you would use it to bring them to know you. I pray for the other people that got opportunities as well. Um, Great conversations, Lord, conversations that glorified you, conversations that were gospel-oriented, that those seeds that were planted would bear much fruit. Lord, we ask in your kindness and mercy, Lord, that you let us see some of that fruit even here in our midst. 
that the harvest is plentiful, so let us be faithful to go out into that harvest. Have your word go forth today. May you be glorified. Amen. All right, we're going to be talking about power today, specifically God's power. And when we think of God's power, I think a lot of times we think of what he either has done in the past, like creation is usually what we think of when we think of God's power. Maybe we think of miracles like um, parting the Red Sea, maybe uh, feeding Elijah with the widow. We just think of different things like that. But I think a lot of times what we can overlook is power when it comes to us in our relationship with the Lord. Now, when we talk about his power, I want you to think about this for a second. Um, when you have your quiet time today, uh, do a little search. I mean, guys, you've got so many tools at your disposal, all right? And you can do things so quickly. I mean, how many of you remember, when, and maybe you still do, you probably haven't cracked it open maybe in years, an actual concordance, right? I mean, it's, just, it's, it's super thick. It's like a deadly weapon. You almost had to, like, register it with the state. It's so heavy. Um, and you wanted to do, look up a word and see how, how many times and where does this word appear. I mean, and, and even a good concordance would only give you, like, a couple words before and a couple words after that word that you looked up. So you didn't even get the full verse, right? But take it now. I mean, you can look up. You can get a printout of those verses. You can jump online. You can get the full context of the verse in literally milliseconds once you type it and hit enter. So, like, God has blessed us with all these great tools to be able to look things up. I encourage you to take advantage of those tools. I mean, there's so many amazing commentaries that are free online. If you need some websites, there's some good ones. We can connect you with them. I just want to encourage you, so in your quiet time today, I mean, just do a little search on the word power. And you can just focus on the New Testament if you want. But it's interesting, it... When it talks about power, it talks about power. Most of the time, it's referring to God's power. So think about this for a second. When, when it talks about God's power, which attribute of God do you think that God's power is referencing? It's really not a trick question, y'all. His omnipotence, right? I mean, he's all-powerful. So when, when we look at that, it comes from two Latin words, omni meaning all, potence meaning powerful. In fact, question 13 of the children's catechism uh, addresses God's power. It says, can God do all things? What's the answer? Yes, and if you haven't memorized, God can do all his holy will. All right. So I want to look at that today. Go back to verse 8. I want you to notice what comes first in this passage, the word power. First comes power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So how is the power given? Through the Holy Spirit, he comes upon you. That's the sign that you have it. If you have the Holy Spirit, right here, right now, if you have the Holy Spirit, God 
has given you his power. But first comes the power, and then, as we're going to see, comes your witness. All right? So, do we have the power? Yes. Are you a witness? Yes. Notice this. He promises us power, and this is important. Okay, because we're talking about, we've been talking about going, we've been talking about going in service, in mission, we've been talking about sharing our faith. But I want you to, if you don't get anything else today, I'll just give it to you at the beginning of the sermon, all right? So if you had a long weekend or something, you can check out or whatever. No, don't check out. But I'm going to give you this, and catch this if you don't catch anything else. He promises us power specifically related to us being a witness. All right? It's right there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. I mean, the connection is very clear. You get the power so you can be the witness. In fact, they needed the power in order to be a witness. So that means when, when it comes to sharing our faith, God gives us power from on high to be able to do that. It's not in our own strength that we share. It is from God's strength. So God is always, 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 always gracious. He makes sure we are equipped to do what he calls us to do. So he doesn't just say, oh, go, and I hope it works out for you. No, he gives us what we need to do the task. And listen, friends, this task, this task of sharing, it requires nothing less than the power of God. All right? And we have that. Now, I want you to notice uh, the background setting of when Jesus is talking to the disciples. Where are they at? Well, verse 12 gives us that answer. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Well, what was the Sabbath day's journey? Well, the Jews had created basically an oral law to really protect themselves against even transgressing uh, the written law even more. So they basically added things to the Bible. We would probably call that legalism today. But one of the things was, well, it says, you know, no work on the Sabbath. Well, then they were concerned about working. That's good, right? Good intention, concerned about working, don't want to break that. Uh, but where they failed was when they started, well, this is what it means to work. This is what it means. To, they, they just added their own things. So a Sabbath journey is how far you could travel on the Sabbath without having worked. Is walking or running or anything like that, any type of travel, they said at some point would be considered work. So for them, it was about seven-tenths of a mile, roughly. So they're just outside of Jerusalem. It'd be like from here to wrap around the street, and once you hit Veterans Memorial Parkway, that's just about seven-tenths of a mile. That's about how far they were. So that's where Jesus is speaking to them, and what does he tell them? So they're, they're literally a stone's throw away from Jerusalem, and he tells them, Verse 8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Right? So that's where you start. But I want to notice, he says Jerusalem, then what does he say? All Judea and Samaria, and then what does he say? To the end of the earth. Here's the point. Jesus doesn't say everyone's going to come flooding to them. Right? They're not going to come flooding to them. Jesus is commissioning us to go out to reach them. All right. Now, when, when, we, when unbelievers come in uh, to the church, like that is God's graciousness to do that. It really is. I mean, that's like, 
you know, uh, low-hanging fruit there. Like, God's being super gracious. And if, if we can't just share the gospel with those people, like, we got issues. But God is gracious to do that. And when that's happening, that's not an excuse for us to not go out and be a faithful witness. Now, if anything, God's kind of trying to stir us up and encourage us, right? I mean, he'll bring some people in. We can witness to those people. We can share with those people. We can minister to those people. But that's not where it stops at all. All right, we have to go. The message is to go. The message is never to stay, all right? The message is to go. And the message spreads. It spreads by going. I mean, think about it. If uh, the disciples would have just stayed in Jerusalem, I mean, how would that have worked? I mean, some people think they tried to. It's interesting how God used something that we would probably consider negative today, the persecution of the early church, to actually get them to go out, in part. You read through Acts, the persecution stirs up, and some of them spread out to get away from the persecution, but God uses that to spread the message. Now, notice this. You ever read through the book of Acts? All right. Uh, Pat, you, you guys, uh, you know, Pastor Smith was trying to interact with you all a little bit. And uh, <clears throat> we obviously need to juice up our coffee, okay? Because you guys weren't very interactive. I'll work on them for that, Pastor Smith, all right, yeah. But notice, you read through the book of Acts, chapters 2 through 7, Jerusalem is the focus. All right? So they're listening, Jesus said, Start in Jerusalem, that's what they do. You keep reading chapters 8 through 12, it's Judea and Samaria. I mean, you can follow the progression. Chapters 13 through 28, they're going to the ends of the earth. All right, As far as they knew at that time, they went as far as they possibly could with the abilities they had, 13 through 28. And really, if you think about this, think about this for a second. I'm, I'm going through uh, Exodus with my family right now in our family devotions. And we're talking about Moses, and we're seeing some comparisons with, with Jesus. But God is using Moses to call the people out of Egypt. This is like a second exodus when you think about it. Right? They're stationed in Jerusalem, but, it, but it's time to get out and go. All right? So just like the, the Israelites were back then, they needed to get out of there. Well, guess what, friends? We've got to get out of where we're at and get out and go. So there's kind of three stages you can even think of it. Like the dawn of salvation was in Jerusalem. That's like the birthplace, so to speak. That's where Jesus was crucified on the cross, raised from the dead. It's like the Genesis, the birthplace of where it all began. The, the reconstitution and reunification of Israel, that's the Judea and Samaria. You know, They're spread out, but the gospel... Reunites them. The gospel gives them the truth. It gives them the peace that they've been missing. Physical boundaries don't matter anymore. Geographic location doesn't matter anymore. So the message, if you think about it, first went, started in Jerusalem, but then where was the focus initially? It was to the Israelites. It was to the Jews, right? 
Then we see the inclusion of the Gentiles. You know, you get the, the Acts uh, 8 or 9 where the sheep comes down, Peter, maybe it's 10, the sheep comes down and, and Peter's like, no, Lord, I can't eat that, it's unclean. He's trying to give them a clear message, like, hey, the Gentiles, they're included in the plan of salvation. Right? Now, it's interesting, <clears throat> if you ever look in the Old Testament, I know you guys have looked there, but if you ever study it, like, the message, I think, is pretty clear that... Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They really were. I even think it wasn't just a passive command. I think they were giving um, active commands to be salt and light. Even the fact that some of the prophets uh, prophesied against other nations is really an act of, of reaching out. It's really an act of love. Um, Jonah, think of, I mean, he's kind of the quintessential guy you think of, right? I mean, he's sent to Nineveh. That's not a part of Israel. So he, he sent out, so God's not bent on just wiping people out. Sometimes you think about that in the Old Testament. I was actually thinking as I was getting ready uh, for this sermon, I was thinking about that because there is this active command for the Israelites to go out. But then there's this command to conquer the land. Like, how does that work? Well, guess what? If all those people that God said, here's their land, if all those people that weren't supposed to be there, that God was ready to judge, if they would have just got and moved out of that land, I believe God would have been fine with that. God said, this is the Israelites' land. I've set it aside. I promised it for them. Think of everyone that existed outside the land. God did not give the command to go and conquer them. He didn't. So the message, really the primary message, was salt and light, even back then. Okay? That's the same message that we have today, salt and light. And I was talking with Pastor Leron yesterday. Um, he's with Ecclesia Church. They meet here uh, a couple hours after us. Um, they're an all-black church, and we've been privileged to do some joint activities with them. And I was talking with him and just being kind of frank with him about, like, what a powerful statement to unbelievers and to the world that with all the turmoil and tumult going on and all the, the tension that's out there, some of it's stirred up intentionally, but with all that going on, you can have a white church and a black church, like, ministering together, coming together for the cause of Christ. And I believe that speaks volumes when you can cross any type of thing, any type of barrier like that, when you can cross that, that speaks volumes to a dying world. If you think about it, that's really what the uh, first century church dealt with as well. Jews and Gentiles, right? I mean, think about it. Did they have struggles and trials? Yeah, I mean, the office of deacon, I mean, it almost comes about because uh, the Jews were kind of ripping off the elderly Greek widows. They weren't taking care of them. So was there tension there? Yes. But did the gospel overcome that? Did the gospel with believers anointed by the Spirit work through each of those situations? Yes. Well, if that was true back then, it's still true today. Look, let's just look briefly. I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2. He starts in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh 
called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is Paul. He's talking to the Ephesians. They're primarily non-Jewish people. He goes on. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now that dividing wall, if you don't know, is, ta- is referencing the temple. There was different sections of the temple. And there was one section where basically, as you know, um, if you weren't a Jew, you really couldn't get access to the temple. They literally had a wall built, and that's as far as you could go. So Paul is referencing that, and he's saying that Jesus in his flesh... Uh, he, he tore down that wall. There's no Jew or Gentile. I mean, he says it again in Galatians, right? Same thing. But there's not that anymore. And guess what? That is the beauty of the gospel. That it can tear down something like that, that in our flesh, we can't do. That when we try, it's a fail. But with the gospel, we can have unity. And our unity whether it's Jew, Gentile, black, white, it might be Belizean, American, whatever, that unity screams Jesus to the world. It screams how powerful and beautiful the gospel is. So Acts 1, they're promised the spirit and the power. Acts 2, we see it fulfilled, right? They start speaking in tongues, a little fire dancing above their head, I mean, it's being fulfilled. It's the first outpouring of the Spirit. God decides to do it in a dramatic fashion, so there's no doubt. But go back to verse 8 in Acts 1. I want you to notice a few more things here. First few words, verse 8. You will receive this, the power, the Spirit. This is something that is given us. God blesses his children with multitudes of blessings, and this is one of them. God gives the Spirit. We can't take the Spirit. We can't grab the Spirit. We can't require the Spirit to come upon us. God gives us his Spirit. God gives us his power. We receive those things, but he is the giver. We are the receiver. What does that mean? Well, ultimately, it means it's God's power and it's his spirit. God literally has an unlimited supply of power. We could look at verse after verse after verse. I mean, he truly is all-powerful. And how does God use his power with his people? First, he strengthens us for being a witness. What does Jesus say will happen first? First, we receive the power, then we're the witnesses. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look at the very end. Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Okay, So he doesn't grow faint or weary, right? He's got 
all power. But then look what it says. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I mean, that is this message that we get. God strengthens us. He's the one that strengthens us for being the witness. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. We'll see something similar. It can be challenging when you open to some of Paul's epistles to try to just jump to the verse you want because it's kind of like he's got some really long sentences, all right? So we're going to back up a little bit. Verse 16. I did not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, Back to verse 19. Listen, the immeasurable greatness. Right? You can't measure it. Why? It's like an infinite amount, infinite supply. But notice what it says. It's the greatness, the immeasurable greatness of his power. It's not just a power. It's a great power. There's a quality about it. Where is it given? Toward us who believe. That's where it's given. You believe? You have the immeasurable greatness of his power. Where did he work this out? I want you to see this. It goes on, according to the working of his great might, he really is just emphasizing what he just said, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The very power that is given to us by God is the same power that he used to raise Christ from the dead. I mean, think about that. That's power. That's power. And it goes on, far above all rule and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Amen? God's power also gives us boldness for the work. Boldness in the gospel is supplied by God himself. Now, when I, when I encourage you, like, be bold in sharing your faith, which those things almost have to, like, synonymously go together, because in order to share your faith, you, know, you have to be bold, because if you're not, you're not going to share it. But I'm not saying, like, muster up inside of you some kind of boldness, or conjure up some boldness out of thin air, or act bold even if you're not. No, boldness comes from the Father himself. You're going to see this real clearly a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 4. So turn there with me. Verse 32, Acts 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, there's that word, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. So God gives them his power, which emboldens them to testify. Now, what's going to happen? We already know they're going to end up in prison multiple times, some of them. But that doesn't discourage them. They're going to get beat. But that doesn't discourage them. All right? Why? Because the boldness comes 
from God himself. Look at Acts chapter 6. It says this, And Stephen, full of grace and power, there's that word power again, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Look what happens, verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Why? Because the power is upon him. And here, everyone's coming against him. All these different groups of people. And yet he's bold. Not in his own strength, but from God himself. Now, we, we read <clears throat> Max Stiles' book and went through it in our life group uh, about a year and a half ago or so. He was telling the story. He, he is ministering currently, I believe, in Kyrgyzstan, the country of Kyrgyzstan. Um, one day he gets a call from the prime minister's office. And they say, are you ordained? And um, it kind of catches him off guard, but he's like, yep. And they say, well, the prime minister's bodyguard is getting married, and we want you to do the wedding. He's like, oh, man. So he's like, you know, it's an opportunity or whatever, but they give him the date, and it's actually the same time that um, he's going to be speaking at an underground church (laughs) in the same country. So he's like, I, he turns them down, and he's like, I can't do it. Um, they call back like a couple hours later. He's kind of thinking about it. He's like, I might be like the only ordained pastor that they even know about in this country. So they call back a few hours later, and they're like, the prime minister has rearranged the wedding for his bodyguard. It doesn't matter where you're at. We'll come pick you up with a helicopter. Okay. So... Mr. Stiles, you know, is telling this story. He's like, there's more security details at this wedding than there were actual attenders, okay? There's people everywhere. And you know what he asks himself? He's like, I'm doing this wedding. Should I preach the gospel? And he asks himself, I mean, this is where he knows the Lord wants him. This is where he's ministering in this country. And he asks himself, is this worth getting kicked out of the country for? I mean, it's a good question. Count the cost. So he decides yes. And as Mark Deborah said, there's no closed countries, just places where preaching your second sermon is a little more difficult. <laughs> so Mr. Stiles, he goes for it. I mean, he's just like laying it on, eternal judgment, repenting of sin, like the whole nine yards. Um, the bodyguard... Um, was German, his wife was Russian. They're so nervous that they don't even hear any of it. But Mr. Stiles notices the prime minister, on the other hand, he's like totally locked in, listening to every word as he's preaching the gospel. Back on the helicopter, he overhears him telling one of his bodyguards that he wants to hear more about this gospel. But Mr. Stiles shares, I mean, he's an evangelist at heart. I mean, he's got hundreds, probably thousands of stories, um, he shares that he has to make a decision not to be frightened and let God embolden him with the gospel every time he shares the gospel. And not just in a foreign country, he says, but in America. One, I appreciate him, you know, being willing to share that, because you you hear his stories, even when we read his book, he's got the different stories, and you're like, oh my goodness, like, this guy, you know, just... Just sharing left and right with people without even a thought. No. 
he shares that it, it is a temptation and a struggle that he has to fight against. And that he realizes the boldness comes from the Lord. So reasons to be encouraged, to be bold for the Lord, is one, it's real simple. Like God is for us. God is for us. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm thinking, well, there's a lot of things against us, Lord. <laughs> like principalities, people, all sorts of stuff. But really, what is his point? Like, ultimately, like, you know, it'd be like having an army of, like, a billion people and one little person with a little pea shooter trying to take you down. Like, what can that person do against you? Yeah, there's little pea shooters out there. But ultimately, what can they do compared to who God is? I, I, I like the fact that God has our back. That he promises to go with us. And listen, we're guaranteed our mission won't fail. I mean, it's a fact. It's written. Revelation 12, uh, 12 11, They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of of their testimony, for they love their lives, not they love not their lives even unto death. How do they conquer them? The blood of the lamps so of Jesus, his sacrifice, his power over the grave, but it also says by the word of their testimony. So God is in control. Listen, he has all the power, he knows what's going to happen. We can trust him with the future. It's his. He's got it. If he wants to stop something, if he wants to stop it, he will. If he wants to make something happen, he will. And here's the thing. I think we're guilty sometimes when it comes to sharing. Now, it's very easy for any pastor to make people feel bad about sharing their faith because most people aren't doing a good job. All right? Kind of like prayer and reading the Bible. There, there has to be, how do you put it? Guilt can be a good thing. All right? The unbeliever is guilty before God. If he does not recognize his guilt, he won't ever be driven to the cross. So God uses guilt. But what I don't like is guilt trip. All right? So I'm, I try to be careful, but... There is a balance between encouraging and giving the importance of us being witnesses for our faith and maybe us feeling the weight of that. Because if you walk out of here week after week and you're just like, oh, that was a good sermon, oh, that was a good sermon, oh, that was a good sermon, well, it probably at some point is not a good sermon because there needs to be some conviction. So that's what I'm, I'm looking for at times in my preaching is conviction. But I do think we're guilty of a few things We're guilty of wanting to grow without wanting to go. Right? So we want to grow. We want numbers to grow here. We want the church to grow. But we want that to happen without going. We have to go to grow. We have to go to grow. And I think we're also guilty of just wanting growth um, from what pastors call transfer growth. You know, so this person transfers to this church, and this person transfers. They're already believers, all right? 
So I think we're guilty at times just wanting just to grow from transfer growth. I also think we're guilty because at times we don't want immature Christians to come into our church. Think about that for a second. I mean, we want 10-year-old mature believers coming to our midst. They've already taken care of all their stuff, all their junk taken care of. We're guilty of that. Now, if you think the 10-year-old believer doesn't have junk, then you're fooled there too. But um, the point is, we want everyone trimmed up and shaped up and and looking just fine. That's really anti-gospel. really is. Um, All of us, one, it it reeks of the older brother and the prodigal son. All right? Um, It reeks of pride. But we, we should want to welcome unbelievers and believers in their immaturity. And we should want to be the ones... That's, that's, there's a little word there. It's called discipleship. Okay, so they come into our midst. like That's our opportunity to minister to them, to shepherd them, to help them grow. Um, we have to repent of this mentality. All these things I just mentioned. Okay? There, there's, there's challenges in living out our Christianity. We could list them all. We could be here all day. All right? Um, and there's a peop- reason people fall away from the faith. I understand it's not easy at times. I understand it's challenging. I understand there's roadblocks. I understand there's discouraging days. There are days you want to quit. Um, no one ever said it would be all rosy and fine. Right? What Jesus did say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's what he committed. I'll walk with you each step of the way. And we get, we get different commands in the scriptures, and it can feel like we have so much to do. We have to evangelize, disciple, feed the poor, train up our children, help the sick, and on and on and on. And we can even end up despondent if we're not careful and be like, man, is it going to ever end? Um, well, actually, no, it won't. <laughs> it won't end until the end comes. And then it will end. And then we'll have the beginning. But listen... All of those things, like, God gives us exactly what we need to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. And in ourselves, no, we don't have it. But he gives it to us. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his power from on high to accomplish these things. And I want to encourage each one of us with this issue of going in mission Look back at Acts Acts 1, because I want you to see this. Verse 10, While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, that word uh, behold, literally and behold, when that's used in the Bible, it really calls the reader to look at the event through the subject's eyes. Basically, pause for a second and picture yourself standing there watching Jesus go up. Okay, so that's, that's what the, reader, uh, the writer wants you to do. Look at this image through the eyes of the disciples. Put yourself in their place. You're watching Jesus go up into the sky. You know you'll never physically see him again until you die or unless he comes back first. All of a sudden, boom, there's like two men standing there right beside you. And wh- what do they say? Verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? 
I kind of feel like it was like a rebuke. Like, what are you doing? Like, Jesus is gone. He's given you his final words, and now it's time to get to work. Now, many people guess when Jesus will come back, and, and they study all these things. And I mean, he'll come back when the work is done. He'll come back in his time. All right, and we can, we can look to the skies and the newspaper and everything else and try to figure that out. That's really not going to save anybody. It's really not going to help you grow any in your faith. No. But getting out and going and being a witness, man, that's, that's going to grow you. I think if each of us were honest in here, like the times where I think, <clears throat> me personally, I feel like I'm in good communion with the Lord and fellowship with the Lord, and I can appreciate that the best, I feel like when I'm being a faithful witness. And even though sometimes I walk into a situation, I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't want to share. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out. But then I share. Like, the Lord blesses me big time. Blesses me big time. And then I walk out, and I'm like, I'm so encouraged, right? I'm like, why was I so afraid, right? It's like, I need a different perspective. And listen, uh, none of us are perfect in this area. I'm not perfect in this area. Mr. Stiles admits he's not perfect in this area. Um, I think I mentioned, you know, I was doing some work for someone a couple weeks ago, and I was looking for an inroads with the gospel and to share with them, and he's like, I'm an atheist, and I could tell he really didn't want to talk anymore. Um, but all I, all I said, my, so my reply was, you know what, hey, I'd love to take you out for coffee sometime, my treat, and I'd love to just hear your story. Like, how unthreatening is that, right? Like, I'm buying, and you can talk all you want, and I'll listen, you know? Trying to make it, in different situations, like, use discernment. And this guy was really not interested in talking at all, so, hey, let's just at least leave that door open a little bit and make it as non-threatening as possible. The ball's in his court. What's he going to do? He doesn't want to talk anymore. That's fine. When people say they're done, don't force the issue. That's on them. The Lord will take care of that. He'll deal with them. But sometimes we think we just have to be like some of the prophets of the Old Testament. And some of you maybe are called to be like that. Bold, straightforward. But there's more gracious ways too. And Lord uses our personalities in different ways. And sometimes really the most powerful witness, I believe, comes from someone who's kind of timid and shy, is when you decide to open your mouth, that speaks volumes. So I, I encourage all of us in that regard. Listen, God doesn't want perfection. He wants faithfulness. And he doesn't want perfection. He wants obedience. Look, we're, we're, we're building links in someone's salvation, right? Like, how many times did you have to hear the gospel before you got saved? If you got saved later in life, it was probably quite a number of times. Of the times you even remember. That doesn't even count all the times that, for whatever reason, you don't remember. I mean, I heard the gospel over and over and over and willfully rejected it over and over and over. Praise the Lord. Someone didn't stop at whatever the count was up to, 15 or 20 or I don't know. All right, I was hard-headed, okay? So were some of you. So God wants us to be faithful and obedient. And he wants us, as we're sharing, he wants people to know that we care about him. These ladies that we talked to yesterday, 
Pastor Laurent is greatly gifted. I was really privileged to just sit there for most of the time and just kind of observe his interaction. And then his wife came over, both greatly gifted people, um, ministering to these two ladies and really relating to where they're at and just wanting to be affirmed in some things. Not affirm in their sin, obviously, that doesn't even make sense, but affirm them, encourage them. Where's the common ground? Yeah, exactly, you know, you can say that to them. And then add gospel truth. Have you ever thought about this? Or what do you think about that? Very, very great job that they did. And pray for those ladies. I'd love to see them here or at his church. I believe that they might visit. Um, We're building links in someone's salvation, right? We're adding links for the salvation. And we're planting seeds. And here's the thing. We're looking to harvest. Sometimes we, we go and the tomatoes are green. Well, what do we do? We don't just walk away from the tomato plant, right? Maybe it needs a little pruning. Maybe there's a little dead branch. Maybe it needs some watering. It needs some fertilizer. You keep watering. You keep tending to the plant. So this church won't grow itself, friends. It really won't. Those days are fast and few between the more and more as time goes on. Churches in the 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe 90s, they could get away with that. Right? It's no longer acceptable to be a legit Christian, a legit Christian in society. We're going to have to go out to get those people if we want to be faithful. Did you know that before the first century, Judaism didn't have any missionary theory or organized missionary activity? I mean, now today we got like tons of mission organizations. And even though the command was there for the Israelites to go, it wasn't until the first century, until believers started organizing together, until the early church started sending people out, there was no organized activity. But they were faithful to go. And sometimes we want the fruit of evangelism without the labor. It's like we walk into the supermarket over to the fruit section, and we haven't done anything for the fruit. Right? And we just, we're just shopping, and we just take the fruit, take the fruit. No work, no effort, but it doesn't work like that. And then when we go to the, the store, and we want the fruit, and it's not there, we have the audacity to complain about it. Where's all the fruit? Well, that's a great question to ask the farmer. And it turns out that you're the farmer. Okay? You're the harvester. You're the reaper. And the Lord promises that there is a harvest. The harvest is plentiful. I don't know about you. I still believe that verse. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Do you all believe that? All right. So then we're looking out on this like giant field. You can picture whatever you want in your mind. I always picture like a wheat field for some reason when I read that verse. The harvest is plentiful. You know, rolling fields of wheat. Thousands and tens of thousands of acres. And, as, you know, I just, I'd like pull, pull out of my pocket like a little pair of scissors. Okay? I'm not, I can't reach all the wheat, but I can reach the wheat right there with my little pair of scissors. 
And that's what I need to do. I need to harvest what I can harvest. You need to harvest what you can harvest. Thankfully, God doesn't leave his children hanging. Amen? He doesn't leave us out to dry. He gives us his spirit. He says, I'll pour out my power on you. I'll make sure you're able to go. I'll make sure you're strengthened. I will make you bold for the task at hand. And I won't abandon you at your hour of need. So we can go with that spirit. We can go in that power because he won't let us down. He won't. He will be faithful to the end. He'll be faithful. He will use your stumbling words at times. He will use it because ultimately it's about his spirit taking your words and doing the work. So let's be a faithful witness. Let's be a bold witness and let's go. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do empower us for the ministry you call us to. Thank you that your spirit fills us to speak your words to people who desperately need to hear it. And Lord, I do ask for the harvests. You say it's there, Lord, so let us be faithful to reap. Let us be faithful to go. I pray you'd encourage us with letting us see some tangible fruit from our efforts. We want to see the lost come to know you. We want to see the lost come here so we can minister to them, so we can be brothers and sisters with them when they are saved so that we can help them and disciple them as you commanded us. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would give us an opportunity this coming week to share our faith, to open our mouth, to know that you're with us. Give each one of us an opportunity. Let us be faithful to take it. Lord, continue by your spirit to do your work through us, to be faithful witnesses. Lord, some of us at times have seen it as a burden. Forgive us for that. Let us see it as a privilege to be your witnesses for you, to share the best news in this world. We love you. Amen.